1: Words carry great weight. They can sway others. And sometimes they can sway others from believing things that are true. From believing the truth, especially in God's Word. Did you ever stop to think that your complaining could lead someone to reject God? Did you ever stop to think that your complaining could lead someone else to reject God? And that's exactly what I see here in John chapter 6.
0: The tongue can be one of the most powerful, destructive weapons you have. It can also be an extremely effective tool for good. Today, Pastor Dave will challenge us to be careful what we say. A word of complaint at the wrong time can reflect poorly on your Savior and even lead someone to reject Him for eternity. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 6 as he begins his message. It begins with complaining.
1: As we do these verses, know that we're actually going back and picking up from 41 all the way down. So um, there's a lot of meat here. We've studied it in in great detail. We've looked at what God would want to do in our lives and show us through these words that Jesus has been speaking. It's his sermon after the, the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Jesus has been doing this sermon now, and it's coming to a conclusion And we're going to study a little bit today uh, as we get closer to that conclusion of the sermon. So as I read John 6, beginning in verse 60, I'm going to read aloud if you'd like to follow along silently, please. John 6, verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by thy father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. In the book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, the author writes these words and he talks about complaining, quote, complaining is self-perpetuating and counterproductive. Whenever I express my complaints in the hope of evoking pity and receiving the satisfaction I so much desire, the result is always the opposite of what I tried to get. A complainer is hard to live with, and very few people know how to respond to the complaints made by a self-rejecting person. The tragedy is often that the complainer once expressed leads to that which is most feared further rejection. Now... Reading this, the rejection can be to the complainer himself or the complainer can lead others to reject, others to reject. And the author concludes his thought by saying this, quote, all of us know a complainer or two. A few of us have the desire to be around such a person for a long period of time. They are black holes and suck the life out of others. <laughs> Sometimes we don't realize the effects of our complaining. But our words carry great weight. They can sway others, and sometimes they can sway others from believing things that are true, from believing the truth, especially in God's Word. Did you ever stop to think that your complaining could lead someone to reject God? Did you ever stop to think that your complaining could lead someone else to reject God? And that's exactly what I see here in John chapter 6. The Jews began to complain about Jesus' words. They complained. And this began a progression. And this is why I had to stop here. I saw this great progression, and I had to go back and pick up these things and look at them more closely. Because I see a progression happening here. A progression that would lead some or many, as Scripture says, to reject God's word and to reject eternal life, and that bothers me, kind of scares me, if you will. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. The people began to complain because he said he was the bread that came down from heaven. He was giving a metaphor of himself about the manna that God had provided in the wilderness. And as we discuss, Jesus was speaking spiritually, but the Jews were thinking physically. They couldn't differentiate between spiritual and physical. But Jesus, as I said, was using a metaphor about himself. The manna in the wilderness was given to a rebellious people. It was a gracious gift from God. All they had to do is stoop down and collect it. Stoop down and pick it up and receive God's gracious gift that would give them nourishment. If they refused, which was their choice, they wouldn't have the physical nourishment that they needed to continue on this wilderness journey. But as Jesus looked at the people that were gathered before him, he was declaring that something greater than manna had come. Something much greater than manna had come down from heaven when the bread came down and was born in the town of Bethlehem, the house of bread. No small coincidence that we're looking at this today. Something greater than manna has come, Jesus was saying. It's God's greatest gift to mankind. And by the grace of God, all one has to do to partake of this gift, follow me, is to stoop down, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves and receive it by faith. This is God's spiritual nourishment for the hungry and thirsty soul. This is God's way of giving us spiritual nourishment. It was his provision for eternal life, his only provision for eternal life. Jesus declared that he was the bread of life. He was the true bread which came down from heaven. But they couldn't receive it. Why? Because they were stuck in the religious box. So they began to complain. Go all the way back and look at verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bridge which came down from heaven. They thought they knew who Jesus was. Wasn't he the son of Joseph the carpenter? How can he claim to have come down from heaven? How can he do this? They complained. And when we studied these verses, we looked at the Greek word used here for complaining. It's memphorius. It means to be discontented. They could not believe Jesus' words because they knew him in the physical. Many of them might have even gone to him for carpenter work as he grew up. We don't know. And so the progression begins. It begins with complaining. That's where the progression starts. And as we look closer... They soon transfer from complaining to murmuring. They transfer from complaining to murmuring. Look at verse 43. Jesus therefore had answered and said to them, Do you murmur? Do not murmur among yourselves. Jesus knows they were murmuring and he asked the question, Why? Why are you murmuring? Now, for those of you who don't realize, murmuring is complaining with an attitude. Murmuring is complaining with an attitude, muttering under your breath. And that's what it carries. It carries that tone of grumbling, actually grumbling under your breath. And we've all been through that. (laughs) We've all been through that where we've grumbled at times or another. Sometimes I grumble out loud. Drive with me for a while and you'll find out. But the Greek word here is ganguzo. I love that. Ganguzo. It means to grumble, to mutter under your breath. Their complaining led to murmuring. They grumbled against Jesus. And we said this when we studied this. When you grumble against Jesus, you are grumbling against God. You're grumbling against God. They were discontented with Jesus' answers to their questions. They couldn't believe that he came down from heaven. This was preposterous. This was absurd. Jesus was claiming once again that he was equal with God. But they knew him as a mere mortal man. It's all they knew. They were thinking physical, not spiritual. They complained to each other. They murmured under their breath, looking for someone to agree with them. And this is how it starts. We become discontented. And we want to see if anyone else is discontented. So we start to seek out others who will share in our discontentment. We look for those who are a little bit grumbling. And it builds from then. And then you begin to grumble with your newfound complainers. You start to murmur and grumble, and you murmur among yourselves, a little backbiting, a little snip here, a little snip there, and so on, and so on. The complaining and murmuring becomes a habit. And you can become labeled a complainer or a murmurer. So Jesus hears their complaints, and he knows what's in the heart of men. He doesn't rest there. He hears their complaints, he knows what is in every man's heart. So Jesus being Jesus, and I love this about him, he says, okay, I'm going to push the envelope. You want to grumble about this? You want to complain about this? Kind of like my mother said, I'll give you something to cry about. They wanted to complain? They wanted to murmur? Okay, Jesus is fine. How about this? Chew on this a while. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the blood I shall give is my flesh which I shall give in the life of the world. Wow. Jesus kicks it up a notch. Jesus picks up the rhetoric. and At this point, look what happens in 52. Then the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So here's the progression. A little complaining, a little murmuring, and all of a sudden now we're arguing and quarreling. You see this? how this starts to work out here. And it's interesting here because the Greek verbiage used here is makomahi. It means to war against each other. This was no small thing. There was contention here. They were arguing and quarreling one to the other. He's not the son of God, is to, is not, is to. You know how it goes. They were arguing and quarreling. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Their complaining led to murmuring their murmuring led to quarrel and arguing this leads to great confusion this leads to great confusion and this is exactly what the jewish leaders wanted to happen they wanted them to be confused about who jesus was they wanted them to be confused about this person who's claiming that he came down from heaven they wanted them to be confused and we know who the author of confusion is Satan himself see many believe at this point in Jesus's ministry that the Jews did this willfully the leaders were willfully trying to lead the others away from Jesus I mean think about it when Jesus came in with this new teaching with this hard saying and these things he was leading them away from the priest, from needing the priest, needing the sacrifice. There was a lot of money in the sacrifices. A lot of things that happened that made the priest wealthy. He was being led, they were being led away. They willfully misunderstood Jesus' words. Jesus had just explained to them that the bread was his body, and it would be given as a sacrifice to the whole world. But they twisted his words to imply some kind of cannibalism. They twisted his word. They're complaining, murdering, arguing. We're leading people away from Jesus. And as we come to our verses this morning, we see the end of the progression. Rejection. It's the end of the progression. The end of the progression is rejection. These people that had gathered in the synagogue that day, they heard Jesus' word, but their hearts were not open to the word of God. They easily made the transition from complaining to murmuring, And then they went from murmuring to arguing and quarreling, and the next step wasn't far behind, rejection. They rejected Jesus. The religious leaders led the way, and the others followed. Their complaining stirred up the pot, so to speak, and it led others to reject Jesus Christ. As we discussed last week, Jesus' words were difficult doctrine. They were difficult doctrine for these Jews to understand. Look at verse 60 as we begin our scriptures for today. Therefore, the therefore, we have to know what it's there for because of what Jesus had said about his flesh and about his blood. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Bless you. Who can understand it? Now, the thought here is that his words were hard to say, but basically they were saying, your words aren't so hard to say as they are to accept once you understand them. In other words, they're not really hard to say. They're hard to accept and apply. Jesus knew what was in their hearts that day. He knew the complaints. He heard the murmuring. Why are you murmuring? He heard their arguing, so he asked them a question in verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples were complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? The simple question, does this offend you? The Greek word here, scandalizo, scandalizo, where we get our word scandalize or scandal. It means to place a snare or a stumbling block in someone's way. The Jews were offended by the statement that claimed that Jesus came down from heaven. They also stumbled over the fact of eating his flesh and drinking his blood for salvation. Some of you may be struggling with that today. I don't know. Some of you may be struggling with that for your words. But here's what struck me in this about all of this. And it kind of bothered me. And I have to, I have to, I have to tell you, it kind of bothered me when I, when I looked at this. In verse 60, therefore many of his disciples. 61, when he knew that his disciples were complaining. Jesus is talking to the disciples, these disciples of his. Go back to what we said about disciples. It's the word metetes in Greek. It means learner, student, pupil. These people were following Jesus. They were hearing the words he spoke. They saw him heal a blind man. They saw him make a lame man walk. They saw him make a deaf person hear. They they saw him uh, kill the sick. They saw him cast out demons. These were His disciples. They were following after Him. But yet, they couldn't accept His words. That bothers me. That bothers me. Because maybe some of you believe that you're disciples of Christ. Maybe some of you believe that you are even Christians. After all, you come to church every Sunday. You know the language. Bless you, brother. Hallelujah. You know, the Christianese statements. You might even pray, but something's missing. Something's missing in your life. You call yourself a disciple, but are you? Do you hear words and go, ooh, that's hard. Ooh, I don't want any of that. Unfortunately, I call these disciples Dino. Yeah, D-I-N-O. Disciples in name only. Disciples in name only. One commentator said this. These so-called disciples found Jesus' words somewhat mysterious. But it was the parts that they did understand that were really disturbing to him. They understood what he was saying. Jesus has said, I came that you eat my flesh to give my life for the world. I'm giving my life sacrifice for the world. They understood the word sacrifice. They knew what Jesus was trying to say. Remember what John said? Way back in the beginning of the Gospel of John, John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It might as well be saying, if I yell right now, Batman, you'd all turn around and you'd know exactly what to look for. Some weird guy in a cape and a thing on his chest, The Jews knew what he was saying when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. He knew what he was saying, they were, what John was saying. Why is the gospel so offensive? Why does the gospel offend? I can tell you why. Because it contains the message of the cross. It contains the message of the cross. The offense is that the magnitude of God's solution for sin is the slaughter of his own son, and this shows the magnitude of our wickedness, our frailty, and our inability. And that's why it's offensive. Yes, read the gospel. But Dave, it's a gospel of love. It sure is. Absolutely talks about God's love. You read the gospel and you find out that you've been loved more than you've ever dreamed possible. But at the same time, when you read the gospel, you'll find out that you're more of a sinner than you've ever imagined in your entire life. That becomes repugnant to us. That becomes hard to us to accept me, a sinner? A sinner? That becomes repugnant. The cross declares to us just how dire our condition is apart from Jesus Christ. The cross announces just how deep sin goes, how profound the rebellion is, how impossible it is without Jesus Christ to come to God. The cross shows us that. There's nothing we can do. There's no effort on your part. There's no law you can follow. There's nothing you can do except by faith believe. The cross shows us that. The message of Christ crucified says you're an absolute failure in your relation. And what is most important, your relationship to God. We're absolute failures in our relationship to God. The horror of killing the Son of God points to the horror of our condition. As we said, never, ever limit the work of the cross. Do not limit the work of the cross because the cross embodies some of those offensive things possible. This gruesome death that Jesus died, I deserved it. This hell that Jesus endured, I deserved it. Shame, the scorn that Jesus underwent. I deserved it. I deserved it. And all these things are, are, are suitable to the sinners just as they are suitable to the sinless one the respect, the disrespect, the hurt. And I love Jesus' reply in verse 62. He says, What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? What, what if you see the Son of Man ascend back into heaven? I love this. Bekley, he's saying, if you find this offensive, how about if you see me go up to my Father? And I love this because in Acts 1, <laughs> this is exactly what happened. In Acts 1, they're all standing around, and whoop, Jesus goes up. He's gone before them. I love that. And Jesus says something that we've heard before in a different way. He says in 63 and and 64a, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. I think this is very similar to what he said to Nicodemus. You must be born... Of the spirit, you must be born again of the spirit. Flesh profits nothing. Physical manna that your fathers ate in the wilderness—well, guess what? They all died.
0: The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on Earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek Him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow Him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening. You realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609 609- Eight eight four five eight two one. 5821 You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.